Okay, guys. So here we are in the second week of Faith with Friends where we are going through uh, different words, pulling different uh, words out of the book of 1 Peter and uh, hopefully taking these words and building upon them so you will be encouraged and equipped and, and edified. Last week we uh, looked at the word hope and what that means for us and, and what our true hope is, and that's the hope of our salvation. This week's word, holiness, um, and holy just in, in general, that's, it's one of those words that just do not translate very well into English. It doesn't translate very well the depth and complexities of the word. It's a lot like love. I love fish tacos. I do. I, uh, fact, last night I had some fish tacos. They're absolutely amazing. Uh, tilapia on the, on the, uh, on this tortilla was, um, uh, one of those handmade ones that, uh, not, not like the processed frisbee kind of, kind of things that they, they put out there, but, but I mean, it was rich in texture. I mean, it was like, uh, like flour tortillas. It's like you're trying to, trying to hide hide something there. You know, you know what I mean with that? that it's, it's more of a vehicle for the food rather than something that enhances the flavor. So, so this uh, tilapia on, on this, this beautiful tortilla, and then I made this uh, ahi sauce, which is uh, uh, it's cilantro and jalapeno and, and you know, salt and a lot of garlic. I as a dream come true last night, let me tell you. And, and poured that over with some red cabbage. And I was sitting there, and I'm like, wow. You know, I love this taco. And, you know, I took a picture of it, put it on Facebook and, and, and everything. I mean, it was, a, it was a work of art. It was beautiful, and everything was going well until I turned to my wife and said, honey, I love you. She like as much as a taco? That's the problem. You see, we, you know, we can love tacos and we can love our wife. You know, we can love TV shows and all, and all these kind of things. And the same is true with, with the word holy. You know, we see these words holy and, and it can have a whole range of meanings like love. And last week we touched upon it a little bit. We talked about uh, three kind of expressions of, of holiness. Uh, there's the uh, holy like God is holy in the Hebrew, that, that is uh, kadosh. And that means absolutely pure. This absolutely, you know, God is love, pure love, no blemish, no, no wrong. And then there's the, the kodesh, which means set aside for God's purpose, which we as the church, we are a holy church. We are set aside for God's purpose because God knows we're not absolutely pure, right? Thank you. <laughs> One person confirmed that. The rest of you are in denial. That's no river in Egypt. So, uh, and then the, the word that we kind of talked about last week is this, this idea of uh, hagi, agiosmos, which is the Greek word for this refining process, but not just refining, kind of being refined in the fires of adversity. And that's kind of the imagery that, that we have for holiness. And, and today we're going to be using holy a lot 
and using the word holy and holiness and and for us to have a better idea of, of what holiness is, that we're going to have to pull out some of the original meanings and, and kind of distinguish what is being talked about. Because the problem is with, with the word holy in, in churches, we sing songs which are perfectly legit. They're from scripture, like, I want to be holy like you are God. And, and people say, are you holy? And, and I'm holy. And and. and, and and a lot of times this, this word holy becomes a weapon and almost becomes a sense of pride. That's one holy guy. I am pretty holy. I'm so holy. I, why can't you be holy? And all this kind of stuff. And it becomes about, about works and, and it becomes more about what you don't do than what you do do. Right? So if you open up your Bibles to... 1 Peter, in, in chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 13, and, and really the complexity of this portion of Scripture is, is going to require a lot, of, a lot of focus, and, you know, if you're you know, playing words with friends or, or something like that, you may miss uh, some, of the, some of the brilliance that's going to come out tonight. Just kidding. So, uh, so here we start with verse 13. So clear, so think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Right out the right off the bat, we have a kind of an echo of what we talked about last week, this idea of looking forward to our salvation. And for a lot of us you know, that, that automatically throws a wrench in our theology. It's like, wait, I thought I was saved. And we talked about this last week. No, we have the hope of our salvation. That, the hope that someday that we will be completely accepted and immersed in the love of God. And Peter continues that thought and saying, look, we're looking forward to this gracious salvation, this salvation that, that we did not earn. We didn't get the salvation because we are absolutely pure like God. We received this salvation because of who God is. He continues, he starts out, and he's like, look, think clearly and exercise self-control. And then verse 14, he tags that, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. And here he's playing off some wordplay where, where he's talking about self-control, but also talking about desire. And I have a kind of a theory that none of us have self-control. Like none of us is, are going to win a staring uh contest with with ice cream eventually the ice cream's going to win you know that 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 none of us are are you know we can have self control that that lives on forever what we truly have is desire our desire to to have something in the future rather than the desire of what is in front of us right now and basically, this plays out. It, it's usually not a lack of knowledge because all of us, you know, we all, we all want to save for retirement, right? We all want to save for retirement. So someday when we retire, 
you know, we can buy a yacht and go do whatever or, you know, or, or, you know, whatever your dream is. We also, you know, we have the desire to be generous with our money and our time. We also have a desire to live within our means. And, and what happens is that most of us don't do those three things because our desire for, for immediate satisfaction uh, outweighs or, or clouds our judgment or view of, of uh, desire for the future well-being. And that's the, that's the trap that we all fall into. I mean, it happens in every aspect of life that, you know, we want to be thin and beautiful and all this kind of stuff, but our desire for an extra serving of food outweighs that, that other desire. And what Peter is trying to say is, look, you know better in that you have to focus on your, the, your, the hope of your future salvation, and that desire needs to be greater than your self-serving desire, which is in uh, right in front of you right now. He continues on and says, you didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Now, if you read that and just said, oh, wow, I need to be absolutely be pure because the God who is absolutely per- pure and perfect chose me, and I need to be absolutely pure because, you know, God is absolutely pure. That is a pretty daunting task. I mean, that's pretty scary. I mean, if, if we really thought about that concept, if that was the standard, if that was how we were going to be restored in the sight of God, that basically we all, all should give up. But there's some depth and layers to the, this idea of holiness is going on. First of all, Peter is quoting out of Leviticus when he says, uh, be holy because God is holy. You know what that section of Leviticus is talking about? Eating and, and specifically kind of bugs and, and scurrying animals and snakes. This is what, if you open up to Leviticus in chapter 11, verse 43, uh, Moses writes, Don't, Do not defile yourself by touching them, talking about the scurrying animals. You must make yourself ceremonial, you must not make yourself ceremoniously unclean because of them. For I am the Lord your God. You must consecrate yourself and be holy. You must set yourself aside for my purpose. And by doing that, by the refinement process, you will be holy because I am holy. Doesn't that make that make that that phrase in Peter make a whole lot more sense? So do not defile yourself with any of these small animals that scurry along the ground. For I am the Lord I am the one who brought you up from the land of Egypt, that I might be your God. Therefore, you must be holy because I am holy. These instructions uh, regarding land animals, birds, marine creatures, and animals that scurry along the ground, 
By these instructions, you will know what is unclean and clean, and which animals may be eaten and which may not be eaten. Again, we have the law of Moses and this, this concept of being set aside for God's purpose and this idea of being refined so that we will be holy. Now, a lot of times, you know, that this idea is like, yes, you know what? If you would ask me just like, Mark, point blank, is that the goal? Is that to be like Christ? Is that to be like God in action, you know, thought, indeed, to, to be blameless? Absolutely. But the process and the journey and the desire is the, the element here that we focus on, not on the list of things not to do. And this will be made clearer as we go on. In verse 17, it says, And remember that the whole Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in this land. Now, he's got another kind of play on the phrase here. Remember, this letter is being written to the outlaying uh, communities in the Roman Empire to the new Christians. And they're kind of these foreigners outside of, of Jerusalem. And he's saying, you know what, like your foreigners now you're kind of living on the outlane that you're also foreigners in life. That you don't belong here. Your ultimate destination is in eternal fellowship with God. But right now you're yearning and you're, you are, are craving this, this, this desire to be part of a holy God because that it was part of your original design. He's saying you do this in reverent fear. Now, this has messed up a lot of people, you know, the fear of God or reverent fear. You know, basically, that, that is respect. You know, that, that I expect my children to have a, a healthy fear of me. Right? That, that, that this idea of, you know what, my father will never beat me or throw me out or, or you know, lock me, uh, you know, in a, in a little bucket or something like that. But he could. Like, I mean, I definitely could do all these evil things, but, but and, and just like, hey, you know what? I have this, this, this reverent fear, if I can use that, of my father. And this is the same kind of idea that we have, that, that we know that God is powerful and we respect him and we live with the knowledge that he is the ultimate power. Even though he will not choose to exercise that, we also know by his character, he will not exercise that, that power to harm us. And he goes back and circles back around to remind us of the lengths that God has gone to in order to bring this restoration. He starts talking about how we have been paid, we have been freed by a ransom. And this is really what, what Christ did for us. See, the reality of, of sin needing a, a, a ransom to be paid for sin was very real in the Jewish culture. Really, their whole cultural setup 
revolved around the, the temple and the temple sacrifices and, and different cleansing rituals uh, to keep people pure and holy and, and basically uh, clean and forgiven of their sins. And Peter's reminding them that, you know what? God paid a high price in order for that system to be set aside so that we now have the opportunity to have a foretaste of, of our salvation. It talks about it in verse 18. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It's kind of an interesting phrase inheriting. You think of inheritance a lot of times you think, you know, inheriting money or a house or, you know, a car or something like this, but inheriting an empty life. This was uh, something in the Jewish culture that, that was very real to them, that they really believed that, that the, what children experience was a direct inheritance of their parents. That if the child was a thief, that they, even though you didn't see the parent ever steal, you would imagine that that was the inheritance that they passed on. If they were a liar, they also had a, uh, a thing about adultery, that they said adultery uh, will be shown in the, in the child's face. Kind of looks like the adulterer, right? This idea. And, and this idea that inheriting an, an empty life, what is, what is Peter talking about? Well, it's really quite profound if you think about it. If you think about, about the, the uh, Jewish religion and the law of Moses being handed down from generation to generation to generation and finding out that, that, you know what, we are experiencing an emptiness in the rules which are to make us holy that that is the inheritance of the law. And God put an end to that and gave us a new inheritance, a new hope of our future salvation that we will someday be enveloped in the relationship of our Creator. Continues on, he says, and the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other, brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes with the eternal living word of God. And basically, in a nutshell, he's, he's outpouring and, and letting us know of the sacrifice that God gave in order to give us the opportunity to experience the hope of our salvation now, a 
foretaste of what it'll be like to hopefully someday stand in front of our Creator and hear the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come in and we will sup together. We will we'll have a relationship that we will have the, an intimacy of relationship, and I'm going to invite you into this eternal perfection which God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have known for all of eternity. But the ransom that was paid was this, that that perfect relationship that God knowingly broke from that for a time being in order to come and save us from our empty inheritance of religion. And then he continues on and kind of unpacks the gospel. Now, for many of us, the gospel has always been kind of given to us as a transaction, right? And you think, for unfortunately, a lot of American Christians, when they think about the gospel, they think, oh, I'm a wretched sinner. I can't do anything right or, 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 or something like that. And then Jesus died on the cross and he saved me. And now I try to be good. And that, that's basically our thoughts a lot of times of, of the gospel. And what Peter is doing here is he's, he, is, he is saying, you know what? The gospel is much larger than that. This is what he talks about. He says, as the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news. That word is the gospel that was preached to you. He took that out of Isaiah 40. I, I, I love Old Testament interactions with God. A voice said, shout. And Isaiah says, what should I shout? Legit question, right? Shout that the people are like grass. You are like grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with the people, but the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And basically a flower, flowerly, flowerly, floral, I think like a flower-y type metaphor uh, here, literally. And uh, this idea of a living gospel, this idea that the gospel is a gift which was self-contained. And I think that that's really an important idea for us to grab hold to tonight or today. This idea that a pure gift, a holy gift, is a gift that is self-contained because if it's anything else, it becomes a transaction. That, that God gave us the gift of relationship with him, or at least the opportunity of a relationship with him. And that was a self-contained 
gift. We are told in Romans and other places in Scripture that, that we, don't, we do not have the ability to, to pay for that gift. That God is not expecting anything in return. That this was a gift that was freely offered. I think a lot of times, especially, you know, Christmas time and things like that, we, we give gifts and we receive gifts, and, and a lot of times it just becomes a, a transaction. We even have, you know, games, you know, gift exchanges, right? Well, a gift exchange is not a gift. It is a transaction. You know, hey, spend at least $10 on a gift, and you will receive a gift of equal value. Well, you just traded. There's no gift there. I mean, it, 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 it's almost if you just, you know, you give the gift of the, the retail clerk $10, and they give you a gift worth $10. And unfortunately, in our minds, a lot of us, that, that we have boiled down the gospel to the simple transaction of that. Oh, you know what? If I say the prayer that's our part, that's our $10, then I get salvation. And what Peter is trying to unpack here, just probably in its simplest form, was that Jesus didn't come just to die, but he came to show us how to live. That we have been given this gift, and it's meant to transform us from the temporal, from being just like grass that will wither, from the inheritance of an empty life to what, what Paul talks about as a rich and abundant life, or, and Jesus talks about as a, why he came was to give us this overflow. And basically, there's only one way to experience that, and that is by experience. It's not about a transaction. It's not about intellectual consent, but it is knowing by experience. One of my favorite Hebrew words is yada. It's kind of the yada of God. And Peter goes on in chapter 2, and he says, So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. Like newborn babies... You must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Remember we talked about last week about being pushers of hope? That, that idea, you know, hey, have a little taste of hope. Have a little taste of, of, this, of this pure love and we get hooked. And this idea that, that Peter is extending that, now that you've had a taste, Paul talks about as, as, a, as a cloudy window that we only see a little bit of what God's pure love is. Now that we have a taste of that, that we will crave more and that we will, how does he put it, grow into a full expression of salvation. I mean, think about that. 
The idea is the journey of the growth into the full expression of our salvation. Salvation from loneliness, salvation from pain, salvation from doubt. Salvation from an existence, an eternal existence apart from God with the hope that we will be able to enter into the pure relationship, into pure love of God. And for once and all, know what it truly means to be unconditionally loved, unconditionally accepted, and have a place at our Creator's table. Will you guys pray with me? God, so many times we try to be holy on our own power, and all that does is turn into trying to live an empty inheritance of religion. God, I just pray that you will lift our sights and our hope to our future salvation. Our future hope that we will someday know pure love, that one day we will be in your unbuffered presence. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.